plan I have for you is on the Messiah. With very recent developments, such as a global death toll, now exceeding a million casualties on the pandemic, uh, that halting society and the global economy, for the most part, that's bringing forth hundreds of thousands of infection cases, with the violence and infighting between Armenia and Alzheimer's that's threatening to spiral into an all-out full-blown war, with the civil unrest of racial riots and protests across our country over the summer and recently on uh, police brutality and racial profiling, lynching of African-Americans with all of these ongoing acts just from this year alone, 2020, is the Messiah still running late for his Shabbat appointment with humanity, the Jewish people in the year 6,000, approximately 2239 CE? Or what in your opinion, will it take for the Messiah age? Like, what do you think that will do to expedite it? Any signs that you might be arriving earlier? We have given up looking for signs. Okay. Right now we're in the act, proactive stage of bringing Moshiach, not looking for signs. So the sooner we get around to doing the right thing, to inspiring people to do the right thing, to make the world better, the sooner he'll come. But so, there are definitely some encouraging developments. Mm -hmm. Along with all that list of bad news you read, mm -hmm. <clears throat> there's also a long list of good news. So the bad news, of course, makes it to the headlines. But that doesn't mean that it's the only thing happening. Half of all of those troubles will disappear within the month. Uh -huh. The other half is an exaggeration to begin with. <laughs> so what can we do, like what we're saying about stuff that we can do that's in our power uh, to bring about Messiah sooner? Just become better people. Do more mitzvahs bring more godliness into the world. Because really, all the evil and all the unholiness in the world is simply because of ignorance. There isn't really a cause that people are fighting for. They don't even know what they're fighting for. Mm -hmm. It's just a lack of wisdom and a lack of direction. So if the room is dark, because someone forgot to turn on the light. You don't fight the darkness, you just turn on the light. Uh -huh. So today, all we're missing is a little bit of light. We're very ignorant on morality. We're very ignorant and impoverished when it comes to ideology. But we want to be good. We just have no clue on how because religion has failed, politics has failed, science has failed, medicine has failed, money has failed. So we're so confused now because we don't know what, what we really need to know. And that is why we are here. We're down to the basics now. Why were you born in the first place? That, that 
needs to be answered because until we know the answer to that, nothing will make any sense. And the only place to find an answer to that is in the Torah. Always has been. But people thought they had better ideas. You mean the Torah where it gives us like 613 mitzvot? That's the answer? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> That's what tells us why the Creator created us. What we are here for and how to go about it. And that's all we need to know these days. Just tell me what I'm here for. Don't promise me anything. Don't do me no favors. Don't give me welfare. Just tell me what I can do to make the world what it's supposed to be. In God's view. Otherwise, I have no idea why I was even born. But a lot of the mitzvot in the Torah talk about stuff that, will, that we can do only after the Messiah comes here, such as rebuilding the temple, the priests and his equipment. Yeah. So what do we do for those ones that we can? As soon as we do the ones we can, those others will become possible too. Okay, so the next question I have is on um, afterlife and reincarnation. If we have not done our mission in this lifetime, like what we're saying, whether it be for Torah commands or finding our soulmate, having children, having any career prospects, whatever our mission is, if we haven't completed it in our lifetime, in the 70 or 80 years of our life, would we get a, a second chance and be reincarnated as a better Jew, a more successful, healthier, wealthier, influential version of ourselves? than we currently are right now, so we can come back in that higher form and that upgrade and, and, and do the mission again? We have already been here a few times, uh -huh. all of us. <clears throat> Hopefully this is the last time around. So we're here now to put the finishing touches on everything we did before. So we're not richer, smarter, or better we still have the challenges that we had in the past that we didn't finish. So this time around, we'll get the job done. And then we don't have to die and be reincarnated. You just stay alive. No more dying. But, but, God, Go ahead. but God forbid, what if we don't get um, fulfill the, the mission, then what happens? We will, we will. In this lifetime? Yep. Uh, okay. Um, what were you going to say? I was going to say that that might explain why we all feel so tired. Definitely. Um, and it's our third life, you know. It's not like we started yesterday. We're exhausted. So we got to finish the job now. Does that explain, like, the feelings we're having about deja vu? Is that also because like we've been here before and we're tired of it? It could be, it could be, I'm not sure. Could also be memories from being, being an, a, a fetus. Could be a collective memory. Some memories are passed on from grandparents to grandchildren. So it's not necessarily our own previous life, but the life of an ancestor. 
uh, speaking of which, uh, if we're trying to do uh, connect with our ancestors or connect with our the patriarchs or, or anybody righteous, and we want to go about doing like a dream quest to do that, uh, do you know how that works? I've heard about it at Aisha Torah. Somebody said that they've done dream quests before to like connect with righteous sadiqs in their dreams. Do you know anything about that? No, I don't. Um, so Why would you need to do that? What? Why would you need to do that? No, the rabbi who spoke about it said he was like meditating on scripture or something and then he was going to the mikvah and then he was able to sleep and have a dream where he connected with, with mm. Sadiqim or whoever. Right, and what did he gain from that? My guess is that you're supposed to gain like revelations, mm. or truths. So did he? I don't know. He didn't really elaborate on it. Mm. Uh, but the next question is on Amuna. What is it in principle and practice, and how do you uh, attain it to get the divine vessel with Hashem to answer your prayers and, and activate the vessel, the vessel, and everything? How do you apply it practically? The best way to get God's blessings is to do for Him what He needs, and then He will do for you what you need. So there are no gimmicks. If we're working for Him, if we're doing for Him, then like a good employer, he provides all our needs. But if we're not working for him, there are no gimmicks that can get you uh, blessings for free. But how do we do it through Muna and John and personal prayer and Teshuva? How do we use those principles to get Hashem's answer for the praying for his blessings? We don't use them to get answers. Okay. We do them because that's what God asks. And that's what serves his need. And then he's more likely to give you what you need. But we don't do it in order to get answers. So how do we do it to serve God's needs? He says that he needs these things, so we do it for him. But is it an easy concept to do? Like if, someone, if somebody doesn't know how to do Amuna or Bishan, or to shoot oh, you're asking how to do it. Correct. How do we do it effectively? Well, studying, of course, helps a lot. If we don't know, if we're not familiar, if we're not educated in godly subjects, it's very hard to do. Although we have a natural inborn faith that you don't have to do anything for, just listen to it, you know, like, like your better judgment. We all have better judgment. We just don't listen to it. Uh -huh. So we're always saying, I knew I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> well, then, then why'd you do it? So you don't listen to your own better judgment. So we all have faith. We just don't use it enough. But like when we're worried about things, when we get frightened by what's going on, well, bring out your, bring out your faith you have it's all in there bring it out put it to use now's the time and faith means god doesn't make mistakes and god doesn't overlook anything and nothing can happen without him so whatever is happening must be good or have a good reason otherwise it wouldn't be happening 
and that's very reassuring because the worst thing for our for our brain is to think that there is no reason that things happen for no reason that makes us crazy we can handle difficult things we can't handle unnecessary things knowing that everything that happens is necessary part of god's plan makes it a lot easier to handle the pain. So how do we reconcile, like, on one hand, having, like, following our intuition and, and following the principles of Amuna, and then on the other hand, our evil inclination? How do we reconcile the, the two? Well, it's like anything else. Uh, you eat food. It's either healthy food or unhealthy food. Uh-huh. You fall in love with somebody, it's your luckiest day or the worst day in your life. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> Depending on who you fall in love with. So you see the consequence and you look at the moral nature. If your intuition is telling you to do something good, trust it. If it's telling you to do something you're not so sure it's good, and don't trust it. So we know right from wrong, and that should be our deciding factor. If it's right, I'll do it. If it's wrong, no. But what about like the shades of gray, that it could be either right or wrong? Uh, right. You, you make a decision and you see. Sometimes it'll be the right decision and it'll bring good things. Sometimes that gray gets very dark. Take a chance. Yeah. Uh, and so the next question is, um, so like, yeah, how do we go about getting that divine vessel and activating that vessel so Hashem can answer our, uh, our prayers? It's, it's all about a vessel, I heard. Explain that. Now, we're not actually talking about a pot or, or a basket. We're talking about the capacity to receive the blessing. In other words, can you handle it? How much blessing can you handle? The more mitzvahs you do, the greater your capacity. Sometimes, you know, there are people who complain that they're not getting any blessings. But you look at their life, and it's very obvious, their life is as good as they can handle. They've gotten the maximum amount of blessings for how much they can handle. If they could enlarge their capacity, if they could handle more, they would get more. But just like you don't get more problems than you can handle, you don't get more blessings than you can handle. So the question is, how do we increase our capacity? Mm -hmm. Well, the, the more moral we are and the more loyal to God, then, then our capacity gets bigger. A very simple example. Most people can't handle wealth. If they were to suddenly get rich, they would become the worst, most corrupt people in the world. So they have as much wealth as they can handle, they can't handle anymore. 
any more and they will become greedy, they will become nasty, they'll become selfish and cruel. So God doesn't give you more than you can handle. But if this same person serves God better and does mitzvahs better, then the chances of his becoming corrupt by wealth are less. And so he gets more wealth. Just an example of how sometimes you can't handle more blessing. You know, a woman wants to have another child. She already has four. She can hardly handle the four. But if her, if her faith was stronger, if she let God into the picture and let God be her partner in raising the children, then she could handle 10. Mm -hmm. So the vessel means your capacity. How much can you handle? Well, the other flip side would be about like having we just finished Yom Kippur and there's been talk about like getting rid of evil decrees. What have we done stuff like let's say last year that might set us up for evil decrees that we're trying to get rid of? Like if, if some Jews were like unintentionally or un unwillingly, let, let's say they use God's name in vain and they want to reconcile that and not get that evil decree for that? What can they do for teshuva to atone for their sins, some of which might be something like that? Well, most of it is already erased by Yom Kippur itself. Uh -huh. The day itself does that. Okay. Yeah. Of course, if you also make up your mind that you won't do that again, that helps. Uh -huh. Of course. Um, so the next question in terms, in terms of evil decree, it's gone. So in terms of the evil decree, it's gone by Yom Kippur, no matter what. Yeah. Then what does it mean, like when it's um, when it's written in the Book of Life for Yom Kippur and sealed, you know, written in the Book of Life for Rosh Hashanah and sealed by by Yom Kippur, like it's sealed, it's done. What does that mean? Like it's too late after Yom Kippur? No, it's guaranteed after Yom Kippur. It, it's guaranteed that your fate is, is, is final and you don't know what it is until it happens. And no, that it's good. You're yes. sealed into the book of life. There's nothing negative about it. But sealed means guaranteed. What is the book of life? The book of life means a year of healthy living. Wow. Um, and that goes to the next question. How do we go about finding our soulmate so we can fall in love and, and be in a romantic relationship that leads to marriage to the, through the Shadakam? Do you have any advice for today's millennials such as me on, on how yes. to start doing this? Yes. Marriage comes before love. Okay. It's not you fall in love and then you have somebody to marry. You want to be married because marriage is good, not because of love. <clears throat> you find somebody who believes in marriage as much as you do, then you uh, will love you. Say that again, it was, it was a little skipping on the connection. Can you say uh -huh. that again? After the, the part about um, that you find marriage, you don't find love, and, and then you said something else. 
that two people who are both committed to marriage and help each other create a good marriage, of course you're going to love each other. You have solid reason to love each other. Falling in love, I'm not even sure what that means when it happens. And who knows whether it happens. Uh -huh. That's not a good plan for life because it's out of your control. You decide that you want to be married because you're supposed to start a family because God said that people should get married. It's a wonderful institution. It's a wonderful idea and you want to do it. Okay. Find somebody who shares that idea and, and it'll be a wonderful marriage. But two people looking for love, that doesn't turn into a marriage. So if you fall in love with somebody, why bother marrying them? So then how do you find marriage but not love? What do you, um, how, how do you reconcile that? I don't know if you need to reconcile it. You just let it, let it be known among your friends that you're ready to get married. And if they have any suggestions, if they know anybody who would, who would be a fitting uh, partner for you, and they should introduce you. And the first question you're going to ask her is, what do you think of marriage? Not what do you think of me? Uh, okay, um, so the next question is on um, um, how do you get um, financial success and material wealth? What do, you, what do you need to do to get that in life from Hashem? From you just need to try. Just get a job, whatever it is. The money comes not so much from the job, it comes from God, but God has to have a way of delivering it. He's not going to just drop an envelope down your, down your chimney. So you create a job where you get income, and then God will provide the income, usually more than you expect. So you don't have to do anything special, just follow the prescribed way. God says you work, you, 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 you get rewarded. Mm. <clears throat> you want more of a reward, work at a bigger job. Okay, I'm not seeing your, your, your camera screen. I, I see the picture of you instilled, but it's not live. Is there a yeah. way you can fix it? I don't know, what, what would cause that? I'm gonna I'm gonna stop the video and then I'm gonna try to do the um, start video. Maybe, maybe it would reset the camera. One second. It's asking to start video. Yeah. So there we go. Okay. So it's back. Great. Okay. So um, that's interesting. So but that brings me to the next question: If the material wealth and money comes from God and not from your own from your own attempts or or efforts. What can you do to, um, like, why work? Why not just play the lottery and pray to Hashem that he blesses you with the wedding ticket? Why work and labor? Because that's the way he wants it. After Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge, God said, from now on, you're going to have to put in a little sweat to have what to eat. So we got to put in some effort. In the Garden of Eden, there was no need for effort, but we're not in the Garden of Eden. 
So now we have to have effort to make bread, which means to make money today. So if we do our part, then God will do his part. <clears throat> but just to sit home and wait for God to, uh, to do the shopping for you, it <laughs> doesn't work that way. No, I mean, that, that might explain like 90% of, let's say, Americans who have to work and sweat and, and, and hustle to get money, but that doesn't explain the 10% of the lucky Americans who either got it through inheritance or marriage or, or lottery or whatever else, success in business, and they can just sit back and relax. Not, not really. They sit back and relax, and within two or three years, they're out of money. And now they don't know how to get a job even because they never did that before. So now they're in real big trouble. So you know, there, there's, there's nobody who's getting off easy. Uh -huh. People who are very wealthy, they've got their own problems. So God gives everybody the challenges that they need to have and then gives you the strength to meet that challenge. So you know Tevye and Fiddler on the Roof? Yeah. He says, would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I was a wealthy man? Mm -hmm. The answer is yes. Yes. If God makes you rich, then that's part of the plan. If God makes you poor, then that's part of the plan. There are no mistakes. It doesn't mean that a poor man can't become rich. Or a rich man can't become poor. So then that means like um, life is already predetermined by Hashem and there's no, there's no like direct free will. If, if, if he decides who we marry or when, if we're wealthy. That's a, that's a good question. What is predetermined are the circumstances and conditions of your life. But the quality of your life is up to you. <clears throat> you can make it good, you can make it horrible. So you can be rich and corrupt, you can be rich and good. You can be poor and depressed, <laughs> or you can be poor and good. So the goodness is up to us, no matter what the circumstances. You mean like the, our, our attitude? Yeah, some, some people can be good when they're poor, but when they get rich, they become terrible. And some people are the opposite. They can be good when they're rich, but when they're poor, they get very nasty. Um, so the next question is on like, um, uh, what is the whole power and uh, of personal prayer and how to really activate like your one hour of personal prayer a day, personal prayer a day to achieve Hashem's blessings and answering one's prayers? Again, we don't pray to get answered. You know, we're not we're not using God like some kind of an ATM. Uh -huh. What we're really praying for is to have the wisdom and the good intention and the enjoyment of serving Him, because we're here to serve Him. He doesn't exist to serve us. 
but we exist to serve him. When we serve him, the chances of getting blessings are much greater, but we don't do it for an ulterior motive. We do what's right and good and holy because that's what God created us for. But we got we to gotta remain loyal to him. Not, you know, not, like some people never call their parents unless they're going to ask for money. So that shouldn't be that way with God. You know, I never talk to him unless I need something from him. And I'm using him. So we don't, we don't want God to serve us. We would rather serve him. Because I'd rather have a productive, meaningful life than a comfortable, empty life. So if God gave me everything I want, that wouldn't be a life. It would be comfortable, but it wouldn't be a life. But if I know that I'm doing for him, that every day I do something for him, that, that's, that's a good life. Then there's no anxiety, no depression, no worries. Just the feeling that I am productive, I am accomplishing what I was created to do, and uh, if I have what to eat and I have where to sleep, good enough. People who are very rich and can sleep in one of four houses all over the world, uh -huh. they don't feel like they're accomplishing anything for God, then all their wealth is meaningless, it does nothing for them. I mean, look around, you see in the, in the news lately, rich, famous, successful people who are committing suicide for no apparent reason. It's not like they got into a big problem. They just got bored with life and they're killing themselves. So wealth is not all it's cranked up to be. Um, but how do we... Um like what is the right format of personal prayer so we can effectively serve Hashem and try to build up uh, goodwill and, and a vessel and everything? If you're doing for him, that's certainly going to bring you goodwill. Okay. So how do we do it for him? I, you, you, you do every mitzvah you can. You don't miss an opportunity. Uh -huh. You put on tefillin, you keep kosher, you keep Shabbos. All of that for him. You don't need to put on tefillin. You don't need to keep Shabbos. You do it for him. Well, if you're doing for him, then he feels responsible to take care of your needs. It's mutual. And that's the best way. So it's not so much through personal prayer. It's more about mitzvot. Yes. Yeah. And then speaking of mitzvot, there's, there's other uh, enhanced, maybe mitzvot or tr um, remedies called sigula. Do you have any um, opinion on that? Like, there's a lot of them, like shlekahagen and buying a knife before Rosh Hashanah, praying at certain rabbis' graves, um, et cetera. What's your opinion on, on, a, on, a, on, on that? It's usually, it usually doesn't work. And, and 
we really shouldn't be looking for shortcuts because that's really using God like an ATM. But there's no um, Segula laws that you recommend, that you endorse, that, that you think would actually work? A mezuzah on your door is all the Segula you need because it's a mitzvah. Those Segulas that are not mitzvahs, they don't work. Um, what about like Shlika Haken? Do you think that would work as well? It's a mitzvah, no? It's only a mitzvah if it happens spontaneously. If you plan it, then it's not a mitzvah. Yeah, so I have to wait for that, I guess. Uh, so the You have other mitzvahs you can do, you don't have to wait for that. <laughs> I, I'm trying my best, it's, it's just very hard oh, with the corona lockdown. You try your best, God will try his best. It's always shared, measure for measure. You do for him, he does for you. You do your best, he does his best. So what is this concept of a bichan, and how does it apply to uh, achieving Hashem's miracles and merits and blessing for, our, for ourselves? What is the word? Bichan. B-I-T-A-C-H-O-N. Bitachon. Bitachon, yeah. Bitachon means confidence that God will do what you need him to do. Uh -huh. But you want it to be in response to your doing what he needs you to do. You want it to be balanced, like a good marriage. It's not that you should love him a lot and he'll maybe love you a little. Or he loves you a lot and you try to love him a little. That's not right. So we always want to do as much for him as we expect him to do for us. Um, so how can I understand if and when there's a scenario when, um, when I'm praying that Hashem loves me unconditionally but, not, but might not give me exactly what I asked for, such as X, Y, and Z, because he, he knows better that it, it is not necessarily good for me. And how do I pray more effectively to Hashem to give me what I ask for, even if it isn't necessarily good for me? That's not going to happen. He's not going to do something that isn't good for you, no matter how much you ask for it. Like a parent will not let a kid play in the, in the streets, uh -huh. traffic, no matter how hard they ask. So here's the difference. Before something happens or doesn't happen, then you have to trust that God will do it for you. That's betachon. If it doesn't happen, then you have emunah, then you have faith that whatever does happen is the right thing. So one is used before the event and the other is after the event. After whatever happens, happens, then you know that that was the right thing. But before it happens, like you're looking for a job or for a shidduch, you should be confident that you're going to get it. That's betachon. Okay, speaking of shidduch, um, I had a dream um, before Yom Kippur on the night of Rebbe Menachem's mother's yurt site when I was um, about to meet my soulmate. In, in a dream, in a 
So what, what can I do to have that prophecy be fulfilled and, and soon? If it's a prophecy, it will be fulfilled. You don't have to do anything. Is there something that I'm missing that I'm not doing in my life for, for no. not having the merit of getting it sooner? No. All you need to worry about is when you're married to her, how are you going to treat her? If I get married, I'll... You will. Yeah. That you don't have to worry about. That's God's part. Your part is, what are you going to do to her once you marry her? Um, so uh, the next question is on um, how do I make Hashem's will my will and how do I make my will into Hashem's will by recognizing that that's what we're here for it's not some kind of uh, you know beyond the letter of the law or beyond the call of duty to do a mitzvah it's what we're here for. From the very moment we are born, that's the reason for it. So what does it mean? Make your will his will. If you realize that you exist only because of his will, then it will become your will. Mm -hmm. But if you think you're doing him a big favor, if and when you feel religious, <laughs> then your will and his will are very different. No, but what could I say or do for Hashem to make uh, my, my, my praying into his will? Your prayers are his will. That's what he wants. He wants to hear Moda'ani in the morning. And he wants to hear Shema at night. And he wants to see your tefillin. That, that's his will. No, I, I mean, like, if I want to pray, let's say, to be a billionaire, how can I make that Hashem's will? You can only try. There are no gimmicks. And if he says no, it's no. <laughs> you can't twist his arm or anything. But how, how can we get his answer? For him to at least answer our prayers? Just Either ask. Just ask. Straightforward, honest, no gimmicks. Don't try to to outsmart him. No magic words? No magic words. No shortcuts? No shortcuts. Um, so, um, and how does one reconcile hypocrisy when a well-meaning Jew tells a family member one thing and another relative something else? How does one reconcile that hypocrisy or, or that miscommunication? Uh, you stop asking that person for advice. Okay. Can't trust his advice, so don't ask him. It's not your problem, it's his problem. How do you harness the power of silence? Quietly. <laughs> no, no, I mean like a silent retreat or something to better connect with Hashem, whether it be through sensory deprivation or being silent for a day or whatever it is, how, how can we harness that power to better connect to Hashem? If it's not in the Torah, then don't do it. And there's nothing in the Torah about, about harnessing silence. It is very often the smartest thing to do is to stay silent. Uh -huh. 
and particularly if you're tempted to say things that really don't need to be said, that's a good way of harnessing silence. So no negative statements, no vulgar statements. So silence really means chosen words, not careless, uh, positive words, not negative. So in speaking, there's a certain amount of silence because you will only speak a certain way. You'll only speak about certain things. So the, the stuff you won't say, that's your silence. Doesn't mean you have to live on a mountain and not talk for a year. Mm. Do you that's, ever... not, that's not Jewish. Not talking for a year, that's not Jewish. <laughs> Jews have to talk. So, but we can like, we could pray and not be silent, but even like when Jews are allowed to go on the Temple Mount, do you think it's okay for Jews to still pray on the, on the Mount when they're, when they're being escorted by the security guards? Uh, I, I, think, I think under the circumstances, their prayers there are not focused. Too much of their attention is on the drama and then the political, you know, so they're there more for the thrill than, than for the prayer. You pray where you can concentrate. They can't concentrate when they're there. So like, um, I feel myself like the best place in Israel to pray to Hashem is either, it's probably like uh, on the underground Kotel, like the one that's opposite of Holy of Holies. I don't know if you've been there before or not, but I feel more of, of a divine presence there. Yeah, it is, it is exciting, but as far as God is concerned, where he puts you is where he needs you. So wherever you are, that's where your prayers are best for him. Even if it's like 100,000 miles away from Israel? Especially if it's 100,000 miles away. It means you're on the moon. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like on the other yeah. side of the world. Yeah. No, where he puts you is where he needs you the most. Okay. Um, do you have any practical advice on how to better relate to people in real life situations? Look for the good in people. Don't notice the negative. Don't look for faults. Don't try to make yourself feel superior by looking down at other people. Always find what's good, exciting, and nice about people. It helps get close. It helps make warm, positive feelings. But it all begins in the head. But how can we do that? How can we be humble and look for their best qualities when people constantly judge us? So when people judge you, what is your reaction? Judge them back? That doesn't do any good. Back or try to rebut. Doesn't do any good. When people are judging you, the first step is to have compassion. Feel bad for them. What's wrong with their lives that they have to sit around judging you? They got nothing better to do. Obviously, something's wrong with their lives. So first, feel bad for them, and then 
make their faults a little less impressive. Like, yeah, they're, they're judging me, but I judge people sometimes too, so not so shocking. So you minimize, you know? And then you find yourself liking them. And they're shocked and surprised that you do. <laughs> right. I guess they are. Um, and then the last question, this is a very deep question. So however long it takes for you to respond and uh, an answer. Um, why did Hashem stop or prevent the Holocaust from happening? Oh, the deep questions are the easiest to answer. I have no idea. I do not know. I also don't want to know. <clears throat> I really don't want to know why a Holocaust is okay. I'd rather remain with my opinion that it is not okay. So until Mashiach comes, I don't want to hear it. That's the moral thing to do. Okay, um, do you have any advice for us in this new Jewish year? Yes, expect the best year in history because that's what's coming. It's gonna be an incredible year. You'll be surprised how good it is, but don't be surprised that it's good. Do you have any predictions for this coming year? Exactly. Only that it's gonna be good. But you have no idea like on what or? In every, in every instance, Everything is going to be better this year. It's a whole new world. Okay. Well, thank you very much, Rabbi Freeman, for your it's time. It's a pleasure. We look forward to connecting with you again. Feel free to post this on whatever you Great. want to put up on your YouTube channel. Great. Thank you for the opportunity. Of course. Be well. Have a great year. You too. Have, have a great year. Bye-bye. Shalom Aleichem. How are you? You know, I do a lot of talking, a lot of Zooming, many classes, many subjects, but that's all formal stuff. Hopefully good stuff, but formal. We also have a Wednesday night meeting that's more informal and kind of um, Hamish. If you want to join us for that kind of an event, um, interactive, time for questions and so on. If you want to join us for this side of conversation, click on the link below and join us every Wednesday night at nine o'clock. Well, maybe not every Wednesday night, but we try to make it every Wednesday night at nine o'clock a more informal chat, which uh, can be more enjoyable at times than the formal stuff. So check it out. Click on the link and join us. Try it. You'll like it. <laughs>